Joshua 2. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word tonight. Joshua 2, we'll read from verse 12 down through verse number 15. We'll go verse by verse through the chapter, but uh, we'll get started right here in verse 12. Uh, The Bible says, Now therefore, I pray you, Rahab, speaking here, swear unto me by the Lord, since I have showed you kindness, that ye will show kindness unto my father's house and give me a true token, and that ye will save alive my father and my mother and my brethren and my sisters and all that they have, and deliver our lives from death. And the men answered her, Our life for yours, if ye utter not this our business. And it shall be, when the Lord hath given us the land, that we will deal kindly and truly with thee. Then she let them down by a cord through the window, for her house was upon the town wall, and she dwelt upon the wall. We see a covenant being made here. Between these two Hebrew spies and Rahab. Last week we looked at the commission to Joshua. This week we turn our attention to Rahab. Let's notice the covenant with Rahab. Let's pray together. Lord, help us tonight to have hearts that are attentive and minds that are uh, uh, ready and alert to receive exactly what you have for us tonight. Lord God, guide us and help us to walk out of here more grateful for our salvation. And Lord, a deeper concern and passion for those who are lost. Thank you, Lord, for all that you do for us. Thank you for the cross of Calvary. Thank you for those baptized this morning, Ronaldo, and then also Daniel. Good to see him in the service tonight also. Thank you, Lord, for his baptism. And we pray, God, that you'd continue to send folks our way that we can minister to and, Lord, lead uh, into church growth, spiritual growth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, at the end of Joshua 1, the Israelites had gathered on the banks of the Jordan River. They were still on the other side of Jordan. They had not yet crossed, but they were preparing to go. Now imagine that sight. Uh, the Israelites were well in excess of a million people at this point, and uh, they're a nomad. Uh, they're a nomad population wandering around the wilderness, and now they've moved into position. They're settled there on the banks of the Jordan River, getting ready to cross. Joshua would send two spies to go survey the land. Now, he handled this much different than Moses did. I think he had learned from Moses' mistake. In fact, Joshua was one of the twelve that had gone when Moses sent there at Kadesh Barnea back in Numbers 13. This time he didn't send men to get an opinion on whether or not they should go. He sent men to devise the plan of how they were going to go. This move by Joshua was not a lack of faith. This was rather prudent, uh, as Joshua desired to do God's work the right way. The Lord, listen now, the Lord never expects us to be lazy or careless in how we do His work. Well, you know what? I'm just going to do it and, and, and God will make up the rest. No, God expects you to show up and put in your best effort. That's what God wants out of you. God wants you, no matter what you do, whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, Do it with all thy might. And Joshua was not just going to walk into Jericho and assume that God was going to give them the victory. No, Joshua was going to do his homework. Joshua was going to be prepared. Why? Because God wants you and I to be ready. He wants us to be ready, ready to do his work, ready to do the work the very, very best we can. These two spies, again, did not see if Jericho could be conquered, but rather how Jericho would be conquered. The decision had already been made. 
God would lead these two men to the home of Rahab. And as we'll see through the, the, the verses tonight, God had been preparing Rahab to be saved. This is what we call a divine appointment. That's what this was. Regularly, God brings people, strangers, across your path that He has been preparing to be saved. Sadly, many of us are too carnal, we're unprepared, we're not ready, or we're too busy to even take the time to realize it. Realize that God has brought a lost soul right to us. And He wants us to help them get saved. But we're too busy going from A to B, or we're too carnal, or too selfish, to take the time and see that divine appointment. I believe that we need men and women who take courage. They attack their sins and struggles, and they do so with fervor and faith. They humbly walk with God. And they let His power lead them and guide them to a victorious Christian life. We need men and women who have their eyes open to opportunities. Open to opportunities to tell others about Jesus. Tell them that Jesus loves them and wants to give them a new life and a clean break from a soiled, uh, from soiled living. Rahab, we know her as Rahab the harlot. That's how she's known in the Bible. In fact... That's how she's described here in Joshua 2. But Rahab would leave her harlotry and would find salvation. Let me just say before we get into point one here, there is no one that God can't save. There is no life that God can't reclaim. You have that, uh, you have that cousin who just defies God and, and listens to music that just uh, is shaking its fist at God and uh, just wants nothing to do with your faith and mocks you. Uh, let me remind you, Paul was killing Christians before he wrote half the New Testament. There is no one, no one that God can't save. There's no one that God doesn't quit working on. We're going to jump in tonight and look at three truths out of Joshua 2. Number one tonight, notice Rahab's condition. Rahab's condition. I see that she had two conditions here uh, in the first uh, handful of verses of the chapter. Notice letter A. Notice her sinful heart. Look at verse number 1. The Bible says, And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out of Shittim two men to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, even Jericho. And they went, look here, and came into an harlot's house named Rahab, and lodged there. So these two men come into the city and their very first stop is into the house of a harlot. Bible, many Bible students have been embarrassed by this. Embarrassed by the fact that these men would go into the house of a harlot. Now, in fairness, I understand why they are embarrassed by this. If I was sent uh, on an out-of-town mission and came home and my wife find that, found out I'd been in a harlot's house, I'd have some questions to answer. Me and Pastor Andrew take a trip out of town and uh, we come home and tell our wives, yeah, we went to see a harlot named Rahab. Uh, Callie and Angela would, uh, would be pretty upset over that, and rightfully so. Uh, but God brought these men to their home or to her home 
And listen, uh, I don't believe anything sexual was done. In fact, if you want to assume that, you have to very, very hard... You can't even read it into the passage. It, it takes a corrupt mind uh, uh, to, get, to get to that point. I believe that God had brought them to her home. God had been preparing her to be saved. And God had been preparing them uh, and brought them together. Uh, God had a plan in this. And he was working in the background. He was working in the background. It's likely that she was the only home in Jericho strategically placed. Why? She's on the wall. Right out of her window, they could go right down the wall and get out. And so her, her, her home may have been the only home in the only city where it was both strategically placed and spiritually placed. As we'll see in a moment, they come looking for the spies and she hides them and protects them. Who else in the city would have done that? God brought her to them and brought them to her uh, uh, so that uh, uh, her tender heart uh, could, as we'll see later in the story here, be saved. What was Rahab's reputation? Well, she had made her money as a harlot. She had dipped her soul in sinful living. Anytime I think about women who go this route and get wrapped up in this sin, it hurts my heart. The other day I was out with uh, April. We were uh, running some errands and uh, we drove past an establishment in Stratford that uh, is no place that any Christian man should be. And April said, what goes on in there? And uh, she 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 had some questions about that, and so we had a, a very uh, honest conversation about those things. And and I said to her, "What kind of girl do you think would work in a place like that?" And she said, "A bad girl." And I said, well, "Yes, but a broken girl, a broken girl." She said, "Do they make a lot of money?" I said, "They do, but you know what most of those girls do with that money? They spend it on drugs because they're hurting on the inside." And they probably don't feel that there's any other way for them to make it through life. If there's one spirit that I would like the church to learn from their pastor, it's this. Don't condescend and be judgmental of sinners. Have compassion on them. Love them. Love them. Quit throwing insults at the guy on the street begging for money. Stop it. Quit looking down on women who use their body to pay their bills. Oh, I'm not condoning it. It's wrong. It's, it's, it's wicked. Proverbs has a lot of things to say about strange women and how you need to avoid them. But quit hating on them and have compassion on them and pray for them. This woman was broken. I don't know Jer- Rahab's backstory. I don't know why she had gone this route, but she was a sinner. But this wasn't her only sin in the passage. Now, this next one's controversial. Okay, look at verse number 2. It was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, there came men in hither tonight of the children of Israel to search out the country. So their CIA web had caught these two spies of Israel coming in and had tracked them going into 
her home. So these, uh, th- this web of intelligence makes its way back to the king. And now the king is going to try to sm- sniff out the spies and arrest them and kill them. Verse 3, And the king of Jericho sent unto Rahab, saying, Bring forth the men that are come to see, which are entered into thine house, for they be come to search out of the country. And the woman took the two men and hid them, and said thus, There came men unto me, now here's the lie, but I wist not whence they were. And it came to pass about the time of the shutting of the gate, when it was dark, that the men went out. Whether the men went, I wot not. She's lying. Pursue after them quickly, for ye shall overtake them. But she brought them, the the spies, up to the roof of the house, and hid them with the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order upon the roof. And the men pursued after them the way to Jordan under the fords. And as soon as they uh, which pursued after them were gone out, they shut the gate. So she tells these men, she says, uh, they were here, but they left. And, and, and I think they left the city right before the gate closed. And if you send your men out in a hurry, you can catch them and you can arrest them. She's, she's lying. She's deceiving. She's creating a diversion so she can cover for these men. Now, God gives the account of Rahab's lie, but he doesn't necessarily endorse her lie. He just tells her that she lied. Now, um, does God endorse lying? No, God does not endorse lying. We looked at Proverbs 6, verse 16 this morning. These six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are abomination, a proud, proud lips, the second one on the list, a lying heart. And then you get down into the sixth one and it's, uh, again, uh, being deceitful and lying. And, and so, uh, twice God mentions that list that he hates lying. Uh, does God endorse Rahab's lie here? No, but can God use Rahab's lie? God can use anything He wants, anytime He wants, to accomplish any purpose He wants. God can use wicked people to, to bring about His perfect will. Let me give you another example, alright? Uh, was it a sin for Judas to betray Jesus? Raise your hand if you think it was a sin for Judas to betray Jesus. Did God use that sin to get His Son to the cross? Uh, do you think maybe that God is greater than a sin and can use a sin for a greater purpose? Uh, Rahab here uh, is a harlot, and she's not only a harlot, she's a lying harlot. We see her sinful heart, let her be. We see her searching heart, her searching heart. Why would Rahab betray, betray her own country and people? Now, let's put you in a similar spot. Forget the harlotry stuff for a minute. But let's say that America is under attack and let's say that a mighty army has moved into Canada and is sitting on our border and they are getting ready to come in and potentially just ruin our sovereignty as a nation. And two spies come into this country and the CIA tracks them going into your home. All of a sudden, you got special agents knocking on your door. Order of the president, turn them over. What would a freedom-loving, American-loving citizen do? They'd turn them over. That would be the... Are we in agreement that would be the patriotic thing to do? That's That's not what Rahab did. 
She betrayed her country and she betrayed her people. Why would she do that? Why would she do such a thing? Somewhere along the way, she had become convinced that the pagan practices of her people were not going to protect them from the God of Israel. We see some strong conclusions that she has drawn. God had been preparing her for salvation. The first statement she makes here, in essence, and this is my summarizing, uh, verses 8 through 10. Notice here she says, your God is powerful. Your God is powerful. Look at verse number 8. So that's the blank there. Uh, Verse number 8. It says, and before they were laid down, she came up unto them upon the roof. And she said unto the men, I know that the Lord hath given you the land and that your terror is fallen upon us and that the all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. Look at 10. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what ye did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side of Jordan. Sion and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. In essence, she said that you will conquer my people. It's, it's a foregone conclusion that, that your country is going to come in and take over my country and destroy my country. Uh, in essence, she says here, if your God can get you away from the mighty Egypt, and if your God can dry up the Red Sea, and if your God can deliver you from the two kings of the Amorites, then we don't stand a chance. You're going to clean our clock. It's game over. Your God is more powerful than our gods. Your God is more powerful than us. Now look at verse 23 and 24. The end of the chapter there. We'll go to the end of the story here and we'll see that the men do make it back to Joshua. Look at the report they give. So the two men returned and descended from the mountain and passed over and came to Joshua the son of Nun and told him all things that befell them. And they said unto Joshua, Truly the Lord hath delivered into our hands all the land, for even all of the inhabitants of the country, look at this here, do faint because of us. I want to point something out right here. That instance of them crossing the Red Sea happened 40 years prior. This had happened 40 years ago. If they're shaking in their boots over something that happened 40 years ago, how much more were they shaking in their boots right before, uh, right after it happened? You remember it took them three months to get across the desert. There they are at Kadesh Barnea, again in Numbers 13. And you know what the men said? We can't do We're grasshoppers in their sight. They're going to squash us. You know, it's funny. I... I watch my wife in our home when a mouse is running around. How many of you were in choir practice last year when a mouse got loose in the auditorium? All right. My wife was like on top of people. All right. She, she's scared. And you know what I tell her? I say, as scared as you are of that mouse, that mouse is equally, if not more scared of you. Now, I think that's true for most people. I don't know that's true for Angela. Okay. It may not actually be true for Angela, but you get that this little mouse and this big human The mouse would be more scared. And here you have these Israelites shaking in their boots 40 years prior, saying uh, they're giants in the land, and we're like grasshoppers in their sight. But those giants were shaking in their boots 
not at the Israelites, at the God of the Israelites. You know your God is far more powerful and greater than any struggle or sin or giant in your life that you think you can't conquer. She said, your God is powerful. Now, they knew their God was powerful, but they did not know that the, uh, the, the, the citizens of Jericho believed that their God was powerful. God's reputation is greater uh, than what we, what we want to know or give credit. Notice that her next statement found in verse 11, speaking about her searching heart, she's in essence saying, your God is preeminent. Your God is preeminent. Look down at Joshua 2 verse 11. And as soon as we have, had heard these things, our heart did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, He is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. You see here, she's saying there's a bunch of little G-gods all over the planet, but there's only one God of, of heaven. And there's only one God in the earth beneath. Rahab had already come to some conclusions about the God of Israel. Now we're beginning to understand why she harbored the spies and did not turn them over. Why she covered for them. God had led these spies safely into her home. He had prepared her to watch over them and had prepared them to help her find her way to salvation. Before anyone can be saved... And they must humbly accept the truth that God is more powerful than they are. There's a lot of people here that don't, don't want salvation because they think they don't need salvation because they think that they're powerful enough to take care of themselves. There's a humility that has to come into our hearts. Rahab had found that humility. They must also conclude that God is Lord. He is the Master in heaven above and in the earth beneath. This humility opens the way to life eternal. We see here Rahab's condition, her sinful heart, her searching heart. Number two, notice Rahab's concern. Rahab's concern. Uh, she had some concerns. And to those of you here tonight that are saved, point number two is aimed at you. Look, look here, letter A and B. Notice letter A, she was concerned for her safety. For her safety, look down at Joshua 2, verse 12. Now, therefore, I pray you, she says, swear unto me by the Lord, since I have showed you kindness, that ye will also show kindness unto my father's house and give me a true token. You know what she's saying here? I've done you a favor. Now I want you to do me a favor. I harbored you from death and I protected you. Now I want you to protect me. She was concerned for her own safety. You know, there are a lot of reasons why people get saved. A lot of people get saved for a lot of different reasons. Sometimes people get saved because a family member convinces them of the need to do it. Sometimes people get saved because they hear a sermon about heaven and they think, Oh man, I want to go to heaven. Oftentimes people get saved because they hear of the horrors of hell and they don't want to go to hell. How many of you got saved in, in major part because you didn't want to go to hell? My hand's up on that one right there. I had heard about how hot hell was and I said, Ugh, I don't want anything to do with that. And you know what? Uh, there is a pending judgment coming for the lost. And uh, she was uh, worried about the pending judgment of the Israeli army and she was concerned for her own safety. But I, where I want to spend the time on point two is letter B. Notice that she was not only concerned for her safety, she was concerned for her family. Her family. Look at verse 13. 
And that ye may save alive, look here, my father and my mother and my brethren and my sisters and all that they have. I don't believe she's speaking of material items. I believe she's speaking about nephews and nieces and cousins. And deliver our lives from death. She's not only concerned about her own well-being, but also the lives of her family. She's concerned about her loved ones. This ought to be a natural response to salvation. We should immediately become concerned for our families. That they, too, can be spared from eternal hellfire and damnation. Let's look at some New Testament passages here. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. Look with me at verse number 11. What should motivate us to get saved? Well, the fact and reality of hell. But what should motivate us to look after the spiritual well-being of our loved ones and family? Well, again, the reality of hell. Look at verse 11. Paul says, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. There's a judgment day coming. Just like the Israelites were lined up on the banks of the Jordan, getting ready to come in and demolish Jericho, one day the wrath of God is going to be poured out on this earth. But not just the earth, the inhabitants of this earth. Those who have not accepted Christ as salvation will feel the full weight of the wrath of God poured upon them. That ought to motivate us to persuade men. Turn over to Luke chapter 16. When I was a 13, 14-year-old boy, I became beyond burden for the soul of my grandmother. You see, from the time I was like three years old, four years old, my mom and dad would put me in bed and, and have me pray. And every night, every night, they'd have me pray for my grandmother's salvation. This is my dad's mom. And you know what? I prayed because that's what I was supposed to do. But, and I was concerned for her soul, but you know, it wasn't really a, a deep burden. It was just something that I wanted to happen, but didn't carry with me. I, I can remember... One Sunday evening, after hearing a sermon about hell, and to be honest, I don't remember everything that was in the sermon. But I'll tell you what I do remember. I remember being so burdened for my grandmother that I came down to the altar, and I collapsed to my knees, and I sobbed. Because I was so worried she was going to go to hell. I stayed there through the closing prayer. I stayed there until I was the last one in the auditorium, weeping and crying and begging God to get her attention. The next time I saw her, I pushed through all the stop signs that she threw up, and I said, no, I want you to hear this. I don't know that she ever got saved. But I know this, the terror of the Lord persuaded me that I need to do my part. Look at Luke 16, look at verse 24. We see yet another person... Who's concerned? 
The Bible says, and he cried and said, this is the rich man, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. And I'm sure that when the rich man said that, he was much more animated in his voice. 25, but Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And besides this, between us and you, there's a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Look at what the rich man says here. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him, speaking of Lazarus, to my father's house. For I have five brethren. Look at what he's asking. He's requesting for a soul winner to go by his family's house. Look here. That he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto them, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. When the weather is nice, I enjoy walking down Main Street here. I like to walk down to the park. I'll pray all the way down and pray all the way back and I like to walk down to where those three crosses are, right outside the Rose Garden, and just stand there and pray. I like walking around the Rose Garden and thanking God for His creation. Last year, I was on my way back from a prayer walk like that, and I came to that graveyard. And I decided to take a walk through the graveyard. There's some really old headstones in there, some people that were born prior to the Civil War even. And I stood there and I read names and I read dates of birth and dates of deaths. And I must have looked at 25 or 30 gravestones. I really spent my time there. Then I had a thought hit me. The deepest concern for lost souls does not exist in a church does not exist in a soul winning class. The deepest concerns for lost souls is not alive on planet earth. The people who have the deepest concern for lost souls are the people who are already in hell. They want their family and their loved ones to hear the gospel. And you know what? They're hoping that you will be concerned for your loved ones, your neighbors, your co-workers. I spend my time as pastor combating false doctrines that want to make their way into this church. One false doctrine I have worked hard to make sure does not become part of our church is Calvinism. I'm not a Calvinist on any level. I don't hold to any of the five points of Calvinism at all. But can I tell you something tonight? I'd rather have a Calvinist in the church who goes out soul winning than someone who claims they don't believe Calvinism and will never tell anyone about Jesus. Because in essence, what you're saying is that your lifestyle is Calvinistic. You don't need to tell anyone about Jesus. 
And that brings us to one of two conclusions. Either you don't believe that your witness matters, or the other possible conclusion I sure hope isn't true, you just really don't care if people go to heaven or hell. I sure hope that second one doesn't describe you. You know, Rahab here sees a golden opportunity to be saved from destruction. And she says, hey, will you save me? Hey, and while you're at it, I have brothers and I have sisters and I have a mother and I have a father. And they have family. Would you save them too? Rahab's concern. You see, it ought to be natural for us to be broken over lost souls. It ought to be a problem knowing that we have a brother or a sister or a mother or a father that if they were to get into a car accident tonight or have a medical emergency and die tonight, that they would go to hell. That ought to to so burden us. Let's look at point number three. And this this point of the sermon is... um, It's really cool. All right, number three, notice the covenant's criteria. The covenant's criteria. So they're going to make a a pact, an agreement, a covenant between themselves and Rahab. And in essence, they're going to give Rahab a way to be saved when the city is destroyed. Notice letter A, notice uh, the covenant's criteria, notice protection. All right, If, if they were going to save her, that she had to do some things to help protect them. Look at verse 14, and the men answered her. Our life for yours. You've protected us. We'll protect you. Look here at the condition. If ye utter not this our business. You've got to keep this to yourself. And it shall be when the Lord hath given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with thee. Look at verse 20. Look down at verse number 20. And if thou utter this our business, then we will be quit of thine oath, or the oath will be broken, the covenant will be broken, which thou hast made us to swear and she said, according unto your word, so be it. And she sent them away, and they departed. And she bound the scarlet line in the window, and they went and came upon the mountain and abode there three days until the pursuers returned. And the pursuers sought them throughout all the way, but found them not. So uh, the first part of the criteria of the covenant was that she had to do her part to protect them. Letter B, notice, placement. Placement. All right. Now, we're going to look at this in, in two, two steps, okay? The two spies gave two criteria about placement for her to be saved when Judgment Day landed. Notice first the placement of the scarlet thread. The placement of the scarlet thread. Look down at verse number 15. Look at this. Then she let them down by a cord through the window, for her house was upon the town wall, and she dwelt upon the wall, and she said unto them, Get you up to the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you, and hide yourselves there three days, until the pursuers be returned, and afterward may ye go your way. And the men said unto her, We will be blameless of this thine oath, which thou hast made us swear. Behold, here it is. When we come into the land, thou shalt bind this line of scarlet thread in the window, which thou didst let us down by. And thou shalt bring thy father and thy mother and thy brethren and thy father's household home unto thee. So the scarlet thread had to be hanging from her window when the city fell in order for her to be 
be saved. Uh, turn over to Exodus chapter number 12. And we see that this scarlet thread runs through the pages of the Bible. And uh, the first place it shows up is with uh, uh, Cain and Abel being taught how to do sacrifices way back in Genesis 4. They had to take a lamb and lay it on the altar. And they had to slit its neck and shed its blood because that blood was a symbol of the blood of, of the Lamb of Jesus that would come one day and be shed for uh, for all of mankind and its sin. Uh, look with me at Exodus chapter 12. All right, look at verse number 13. Look here. Here we find the first Passover. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. What is the celebration of the Passover? It is a commemoration of the time that the blood of a spotless firstborn lamb was applied to the doorpost of the homes. And uh, when the death angel or judgment angel passed by, if the blood was applied, uh, the death angel would pass on by and would not kill the firstborn of the home. Now, when the Israelites would invade uh, Jericho, God would knock down the wall of the entire city. We'll see that in Joshua 6. All of the wall, city wall would fall except for one little area. It was the place that had the scarlet thread hanging out the window. There you have that scarlet thread hanging out of Rahab's window. God knocks down the entire wall, but structurally leaves her home right in place. Why? Because the blood had been applied. Hebrews 9, verse 22 says this. It says, And almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without shedding of blood is no remission. Hey, one day, one day, judgment day is coming. Judgment day is coming to this world. And God is not going to ask about how good you were. God is not going to ask about what kind of person you were. He's not going to look at your church attendance record. He's not going to look and see uh, what kind of Christian servant you were or whether or not He let you into heaven. He's going to lay all that to the side and He's going to look at one thing. Was the blood of Jesus applied to your account? Did the blood of Jesus blot out your sins? You see, for Rahab to be saved and for her home to be saved... That scarlet thread representing the blood of Jesus had to be hanging out of her window. The blood had figuratively been applied and her home would be saved. Uh, uh, but not only does the scarlet thread, uh, 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 not only is the scarlet thread, or rather not only is it the placement of the scarlet thread, look also at the placement within her own home, in the home. Look down at Joshua 2, verse number 19. Look at here at the rest of the conditions. And it shall be that whosoever shall go out of the doors of the house into the street, this blood shall be upon his head, and uh, we will be guiltless, and whosoever shall be with thee, look at these three words, I have them underlined in my Bible, in the house. Underline those words if you mark your Bibles. In the house. Uh, his blood shall be on our head, if any hand be upon him. So, those inside the home with the scarlet thread would be saved, those outside of the home would be killed. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 immediately comes to mind. Listen to what it says. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, 
In Christ, he is a new creature. I showed that verse to somebody one time and they looked at me and they said, what does it mean to be in Christ? I think that's a valid and a fair question. What does it mean to be in Christ? Well, we can go back to Joshua 2 and we can go back to verse number, what was it, 19? We just looked out a moment ago and we can see that those who were in the house were spared at judgment. How about this one? Look with me at Genesis chapter number 7 and verse number 1. I got you turning all over the Bible tonight, but hey, that's good. That's how you learn your Bible. Genesis chapter 7. Look at verse number one. Here we find the story of Noah in the ark. And you know that Noah took 120 years to build this ark of gopher wood. He pitched it within and without. And, uh, and uh, God began to send the animals to go on the ark. Look at verse number one. And the Lord said unto Noah, come thou in all thy house. Look at these three words. Into the ark. Where was safety found? It was found in the ark. For thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. Look down at verse 16. And they went in, went in male and female of all flesh as God had commanded him. Look at the rest of the verse. And the Lord shut him in. Who closed the door to the ark? The Lord closed the door to the ark. Who was spared from the wrath, excuse me, from the wrath of God? Those in the boat. Boy, when judgment day came, the rain began to fall. The earth began to fill up with water, and those people that had mocked Noah now began to beat on the side of that boat. Let us in! Let us in! It was too late. The Lord had shut the door. Only those in the ark were saved. Hey, back in Joshua 2, only those in Rahab's house were saved. And when judgment day comes, only those in Christ will be saved. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 11. This will, this will be the last verse we look at tonight. I'm getting ready to wrap up the message. Hebrews 11. So what was it that saved Rahab? Was it her works? No. Hebrews makes it clear that it was not her works that saved her. Rather, it was her faith. Her faith saved her. Did she do some things? Yes. But those things did not save her. Those things proved her faith. Look at Hebrews 11. Look at verse 31. By faith, the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace. So what was it that saved Rahab? It was her faith. Her faith saved her. Now, one interesting note. I'm sure I'll repeat this when we get to Joshua 6. Uh, the name Joshua... Uh, if it's taken out of the Hebrew and translated into the Greek, is the name Jesus. And Joshua is a, 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 a type of Christ in the Old Testament. There's a lot there that's very neat. I'm sure as we go throughout the book of Joshua, we'll see this. Now watch this. Joshua came to Jericho, and because of his arrival, a harlot was saved. What happened when Jesus came? He came to save who? Publicans and sinners. Publicans and harlots. Mary Magdalene, it is believed, was probably a harlot and Jesus saved her. He came into the world to save her. And it was the faith of Mary Magdalene that saved her. It was the faith of Rahab that saved her. It was her faith that caused her to get her family together in that home. It was her faith that caused that uh, scarlet thread to hang out that window. It was her faith that caused her to deny her countrymen and protect these spies. It was her faith 
that saved her from the peril of destruction. And one day when destruction comes and hell is uh, con- uh, people are condemned to hell by God, only those who have had the blood applied by faith in Christ will escape that. On a Sunday evening, there aren't very many in attendance that have not placed themselves in Christ and have had His blood applied to the doorpost of their hearts. In fact, most of you have done that. I'm looking around the room and there are a couple of you in here. I do not know about your salvation status. Maybe you're saved, maybe you're not. Let me say this to you tonight. If you've not given your heart to Christ, I promise you, One day, judgment is coming. One day, you will die. One day, you'll stand before a holy God. And He'll either pronounce you guilty of sin and send you to hell. Or He'll announce you pardoned. How do you get pardoned? You must ask Jesus with a heart of faith to take His blood and wash away your sins. And when that happens... You will be in Christ. He'll make you a new creature. If you've not done that, there's nothing fancy about it. You don't have to crawl across broken glass, walk across hot coals, accomplish some great feat for the Lord. In fact, there's nothing you can actually do to get saved. How do you get the blood of Jesus applied to your account? You just simply humble your heart, bow your head, and you just tell the Lord that you believe in Him and you ask Him to wash away your sins and save your soul. You believe in Jesus. But most of you this evening are saved. My challenge is to you tonight is this question. Are you doing your part? Our church has missionaries that we support. We're getting ready to have a missions conference in just five weeks. Are you doing your part to support our missionaries so that they can get the gospel around the world? You either give or you go or you do both. Really, you're to do both. But when it comes to going, we go here and we give so they can go there. You concerned about lost souls on the other side of the globe? Are you doing your part? How about your family? When was the last time you shed a tear because a loved one of yours is on their way to hell? I'm going to close tonight with an illustration. Many of you know John Greco that comes here on Sunday mornings. He sits right back here. He, he uh, is getting up in age and his mind has begun to slip. And He'll sit during the service and he'll sleep through much of it. He'll drool on himself. I'm not saying anything that isn't public knowledge. You show up on a Sunday morning, you can see it. Many people look at John and say, what are you doing here? Well, let me tell you something about John Greco. First, pray for him. He's in Bridgeport Hospital right now. He had some seizures this week, and he, uh, he has COVID. And pray for him. John calls me every week. Sometimes he calls me two or three times in a week. And you know what John asks me regularly? He says, will you pray for my cousins in Florida? They're lost, and they don't know Jesus. Pastor, will you pray for them to get saved? And I know their names, because he tells me their names all the time. And John doesn't have all of his mind, but you know what John still has? He has a burden. He has a burden for lost souls. John will call me and say, Pastor, will you pray? And every week of my life, at some point, John gets me on the phone 
And we pray for his family in Florida to be saved. Hey, God doesn't need you to be smart. He doesn't need you to be strong. He doesn't need you to be a Bible theologian. All those things are good, and you you should grow in those areas. But what He does need you to do is have a burden. And to be as concerned for your family as Rahab was for hers. Lord, I pray tonight that You would renew our prayers for our lost families and our lost friends. Many of us, we go to work. Many here, rather, go to work and they see co-workers. And the truth is, if those co-workers died in their sleep tonight, they'd go to hell. And Lord, we're mute about our faith because we're afraid of being awkward or standing out or maybe even getting in trouble. Help us to be wise as serpents, harmless as doves, but Lord, help us to share our faith. Help us to have a concern for the lost around us. Lord, I pray tonight you would rekindle that fire, that passion. Lord, to have spiritual eyes that see the divine appointments that you bring right in front of us. May we be willing to take a time out from our busy lives to tell those that you've been working on the gospel. We think of Ray today, Ronaldo, 14 years, you were working on his heart. And he came to salvation and got baptized this morning. How many more Ronaldos will you bring up across our path this week? Lord, help us to have eyes that see it. And Lord, help us to have hearts that are burdened and and concerned and care. Lord, help us to make some decisions tonight that will alter the way we live, not only this coming week, but the rest of our lives. Give us the concern for our family that Rahab had for hers. Lord, work during our time of invitation in Jesus' name. Let's stand to our feet.